Hello and welcome to The Queer Thesperience. I am your host, Casper Oliver. My pronouns are he, him. I am a bisexual trans man and I am a performer in many ways, immersion theater, voice, film, stage. If I can get my grubby hands on it, I will be there. And today I have an awesome guest. I will allow you to introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Adam O'Connell. My pronouns are he, him, his. Um, I am a queer trans man, and I'm an actor and a writer, and I am the current writer and host of The Great American Scream, a horror culture and comedy podcast. Which I'm so excited to get you on here because I am, my, my ties with horror, I actually have a very deep history with horror, which is weird because when it comes to watching horror, I am a weenie. Uh, <laughs> I am a massive wuss, but I have been in horror, I've been in horror films. I've performed in haunted houses. I was convention staff for Horror Hound up in the Midwest for like eight years. Uh, I So I've done all this stuff, but I watching horror is I I love the community behind it so when you reached out and we're like hey I have a podcast we talk about horror let's talk about horror uh, I was like yes let's do this thing <laughs> so uh, tell us a bit about your podcast yeah so um, I have always been a really big horror fan as a kid I was really I was kind of like a, a Wednesday Adams kind of child I was really into stuff like Courage the Cowardly Dog and the Adams Family, like anything that was macabre yes. or just spooky in any way is really what I was like attracted to. Um, and I think part of that because I didn't really like come to terms with like my queer and trans identity until halfway through high school. But I think there was a part of me that was always attracted to the inherent like campiness that is spans across all aspects of horror. And when I was a senior in uh, high school, I was in this, this was after I had started transitioning and came out. Um, I was in a class where we did like essay uh, college, like writing practice. And I wrote two big, like 13 page essays that year. One that was about uh, trans and queer representation in uh, television and film. And then another one that was about um, horror and how like, the genre has morphed as time has changed and what Americans are afraid of and how it affects what horror movies are. And then I had, I'd like, after I'd finished these two essays, I was like, I can talk about both of these things at the same time. I have the technology. And so um, I got really into uh, researching queer representation in horror, queerness in horror, queer horror makers, and sort of how uh the community interacts with the genre because mm -hmm. like the i feel like a lot of big uh the horror genre kind of has two really big fan bases one is kind of like older like cis straight men and then the other is like queer people yeah so it's interesting i mean both i think attracted to different things about the genre but both still big fans of the genre so i've uh done a lot of research on queerness and how it presents itself in presents itself in the genre and I wanted kind of a, a medium not only to talk about that but just things about the the genre and the subcultures of the genre in general and one of my dear friends who's also a podcaster was a complete newbie to the horror genre so I was like you're perfect I'm gonna take you and kind of it's like a a walkthrough guide of different uh horror subcultures and subgenres so we talk about 
um, different tropes in horror film. We talk about haunted attractions. We talk about creepypasta. We talk about ritual games like Bloody Mary. Like, but it's all like it's not a scary show. We have fun. We goof around. Right. It's just kind of an exploration of the the different parts of the genre. Yeah, and I think that's really cool. Uh, I recently found you on Spotify, and I if I my phone would cooperate. I was going to, I was going to listen to a few episodes before we recorded, but then life got away from me. Uh, mm-hmm. But I am very excited to like start delving into it and listening to it. Um, I, uh, I find myself very attracted towards things like true crime podcasts, which depending on the type of true crime can definitely fit in horror. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, depending on how macabre they go. Um, and I've noticed a trend where a lot of the most, at least in my book, uh, the the horror I've been most able to digest, I don't know if this is, I, I don't know what the connection is, but the connection between either indie or queer creators and horror. Yeah. And it might be just how certain tropes are handled by queer creators um, so I wanted to, to kind of delve in a bit on your research with queer representation and also queer creators in horror. Uh, so that's kind of, this yeah. is kind of new for me, but you have a lot of experience in this. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I think, uh, queer people have always kind of been able to see themselves in horror in one way or another. Um, I think, uh, primarily early on, like queer people have, have always seen themselves coded as villains in mm-hmm. some variety, yep. especially if you grew up on like Disney movies. Um, it, it's very easy as like a young queer person to see yourself in these campy villains because they were written to be that way. They were written to be a certain way in that like queerness is viewed as sinister and threatening. Therefore, um, we see ourselves in these villains. But then I think since queer people have kind of claimed those villains kind of as uh, as their own because they identify with them so much. And uh, we talked about this briefly on the show, like unrelated to whatever we were talking about, but how um, in the most recent like live action remakes of Disney movies, they've kind of tried to unqueer code the villains because probably in their heads going, oh God, like this was wrong. We shouldn't have done this. But it makes them so much more boring. <laughs> like yep. it's watching the live action uh, Lion King and uh, and uh, Aladdin. Like that when you take this like campiness and inherent fun that 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 the queer people have claimed from the coding. Like they they're like they're ours now. <laughs> yeah, we don't want you to change them. But then I think uh, because it's so kind of easy to see ourselves in these villains a lot of those common uh, uh, tropes of what we would see in a queer-coded villain in a children's movie shows up in horror because as a kid, we're kind of taught what to be afraid of. And then as an adult, it's expanded upon in this genre. Um, But unfortunately that then manifests in a genre that's taken a lot more seriously. It unfortunately manifests itself in a lot of problematic tropes. Um, We just did a big special on uh, queer tropes in horror films on our show and one of them that we talked about uh, that I think is most prevalent in the horror genre is this like cross-dresser as villain uh, kind of trope and everybody's seen it before. If you've seen Psycho, if you've seen Silence of the Lambs, it's extremely prevalent. uh, The idea that 
cross-dressing is inherently creepy or dressing in clothes as, uh, of another gender is inherently scary or threatening because we've learned to associate them with villains like Nor Norman Bates and Buffalo Bill. And we talked interestingly about how these movies try and sometimes skirt around it by say they have lines in the movies that are like, there's one in Silence of the Lambs where it's like, oh, he's not a transsexual, using language from the film, he's not yeah. a transsexual, he just thinks he is. Which, so they're trying to say like, oh, like we're not actually making a comment on trans people because blah, 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 blah. But it, that now it's so hardwired in our brains to associate it with being creepy or being scary that it's become, it shows up in other genres too. Right. Like um, if you've ever seen The Dark Knight, the scene where the Joker is like at the hospital and he's yep. dressing as a nurse to disguise himself. Like we're not, that's not supposed to be a scary moment. If anything, it's treated as slightly comical. But of course he's not masquerading as a male nurse or a male doctor to come to this hospital. They automatically put him in like, quote, women's clothing because they know the audience will view, associate it with, with creepiness. Um, and that is a, extremely prevalent in horror and it's kind of turned from the Norman Bates style of, um, oh, it's a symptom of his delusions of being so obsessed with his mother. Is it now since we associate it so strongly, a lot of horror creators and directors and writers will just put characters in a moment in the film where they're wearing a dress or wearing a wig just to be creepy. Like it's not supposed to be uh, part of their backstory or whatever. It's just like, oh, wouldn't this be creepy if he was wearing a dress in the scene or whatever. Um, and that's, it's become so incredibly hardwired in our brains. It's, it's a hard trope to shake, um, especially because now it's permeated so many other genres. Um, and it's almost entirely with villains when this is the case. And when it's a hero, it's treated as comedy and really doesn't show up in the genre. Um, but that it's kind of always in the back of my mind now uh, when I watch these films and film, things that are great movies like Silence of the Lambs and Psycho. Yeah. Uh, but to, to, to think about how this trope has kind of hardwired and affected us culturally that now we associate it with this creepy thing. I mean, you wonder why uh, people automatically associate trans women with being predatory and like this, the kind of, this kind of media tropes is why. Yeah. Um, but you might not think of that actively because you see it so, so much. And um, uh, another one that we talked about briefly is like as queer person as villain, but also queer person as victim, that we are starting to see um, more trans representation and queer representation in horror film. But a lot of the time, unfortunately, that character doesn't make it to the end of the movie. Yep. And, um, it's nowadays, I don't think it's as often treated as maliciously. Like, I don't think writers and directors are killing queer characters on screen maliciously. We're obviously meant to sympathize with them and feel bad and recognize like, oh, that's wrong that that person is dying. But um, they still like don't make it to the end of the movie and their deaths are treated for shock value or to advance the story of the main character. Um, I don't know if you saw the most recent It movie, uh, mm -hmm. the sequel, it opened with a scene of um, uh, these two, this uh, queer couple 
who are uh, attacked and then killed by being thrown in the river. And it's supposed to show how Pennywise the clown is like affecting the town and making it more hateful and stuff like that. Um, and it's from the book, but the scene is so jarring and sh- like I've sat through a lot of really, really gory horror movies and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to watch in a horror film. Um, and is it showing how Pennywise is making the town scarier, more hateful and ap- people apathetic? Absolutely it is. But it, then it comes with this shock value of it being like a literal hate crime. And it's um, so real for people like us to sit and watch. Yeah, exactly. And to say that like, oh, this could only happen in a town that's being invaded by this evil clown is entirely untrue and like a little insulting. Um and but I don't think a lot of audiences, especially when they watch horror films, really have that. They don't take it because people don't take the horror genre seriously. So they don't think of it like they think of a drama film or a TV show or something like that. Um, when, a lot of the times when people, especially who aren't like horror fans, go to see a horror movie, they're just in it for the scare. They're right. in it for the monster and stuff. So it's not something I think people actively think about. But now uh, because horror is so often also controlled by independent creators. Um, It allows for the space for queer creators and independent creators to kind of, uh, to create their own works in a way, but often are not as widely marketed or distributed and stuff. So, um, but I think regardless, uh, like I said, with how the like, the queer uh, kind of subculture of the, the horror fans, um, we're just attracted to that that inherent camp that is so permeated in regular queer culture and other queer media that horror movies are campy. They're ridiculous. Oh, they're yeah. fun. They're silly. Like these monsters are over the top and crazy. That's what makes a good movie. And it's it's campy. And I think that's why so many queer people are are attracted to it. It's It's fashionable. It's like there's so much about it that it's it's a big show like right any good camp should be and like it's kind of this dichotomy of like treating horror seriously but also treating it as camp and i take my camp very seriously so i (laughs) think uh i think that's part of why it's so attractive to queer people yeah and uh there's also something that this is might be slightly odd, um, but my both my mom and my dad. My dad is a huge horror film buff, and my mom was also a huge horror film buff. And my uh, mom and I would sit, and she introduced me to horror. And my mom showed me when I was uh, probably too young uh, <laughs> the one of the newer Dawn of the Dead movies, um, the Resident Evil movies. Um, and it was Mia Jovovich as Alice in Resident Evil 2 that made young little me go, I like girls. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a sort of thing where, um, and then my mom, uh, after I came out as bi, my mom came out as bi, so we would just sit and watch horror films and go, oh, they're cute no matter, because another aspect of horror is there's a lot of that physical appeal of the heroes, whether it's um, male, female, whatever, it's like, Mm. it's sexy to be strong and also strong is a thing. Like the movie, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Pulse. It was those Mm -hmm. ghosts would go through the Wi-Fi. uh, And 
there were a few scenes where, yeah, they were sexualizing the female lead, but I think a lot of her most attractive scenes, quote unquote, were just her in a t-shirt and jeans kicking ass, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And it's just because you see these kinds of characters surviving. Um, And I do, I do kind of want to trail back a bit with the um, cross-dressing is, you know, as two trans people, um, we, 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 we see this. I remember the first time I ever saw that in something outside of like Silence of the Lambs. Um, and I don't know how you want to categorize Rocky Horror Picture Show. That entire thing right, is just... Right, yeah. <laughs> that is its own It's its thing. own topic, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's its own episode. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, was in an episode of Criminal Minds where uh, the actor, I think Jackson Rathbone, played a serial killer. And it was after he got super popular in Twilight as Jasper. Um, but oh, he, right. he played not only a serial killer, but he played a serial killer with multiple personalities. And the okay. other personality was a woman. And so it, mm. it kind of went... It, the, the problem was they still made the character very sympathetic but it still doesn't really fix the fact that you are demonizing both multiple personality like you know dissociative identity disorder and transgender women um because they did have this huge bonding moment between the killer and spencer reed the character played by matthew gray googler and it still didn't sit right with me uh because it's like okay sympathetic but you're ending it showing them in jail after they've murdered all these people. And it's so it's right. a horror and it doesn't really feel like as exactly as you said, it doesn't feel like it's being intentionally malicious right? Um, because they try and make them sympathetic, mm-hmm. but that doesn't reverse the damage that is being done with the stereotypes. Yeah. And I think that, like, the, since the genre has been around for so long, these tropes have been around for so long, a lot of the times you kind of have to step back and to, to recognize exactly what's going on. Like, I, I don't think a lot of people end up realizing, I, I go to a lot of haunted attractions, haunted houses, and uh, a common thing I see at almost every attraction I go to is some take on, like, the insane asylum, the, yep. the mental asylum. And when you step back, you go, oh, that's that's like not a great trope to be perpetuating right now, but it's so permeated that you don't even think, when you see like a haunted attraction or movie that involves an insane asylum, you go, oh, that's a horror thing. Like it's an insane asylum. But because you just see it so much and stepping back, um, you really kind of have to remove yourself from it and, and look at it within the lens of the whole culture to recognize like where tropes like that come from there's also this insane brian de palma movie called dress to kill um starring michael caine where he played the what you said about criminal minds reminded me of it because he plays a serial killer who and like using the language of the film is like wants to be a woman but every time he dresses up as a woman he's still attracted to women so his quote male side makes him kill because he's because he like can't be a woman and also be attracted to women and like he's got the male side quote and the female side that are like fighting each other and that's when he kills people it's insanity it's a crazy crazy movie um but i think that's kind of like 
the culmination of what all of these harmful tropes lead to is this idea that people have about trans people. And uh, people wonder of like why uh, being trans was classified as an, like an illness until quite literally last year. Yeah. Uh, it's because we've kind of been brought up to believe that, that having a desire or a desire to transition or wanting to express your gender in a way that isn't expected, society doesn't expect you to do so, means there is something wrong with you and something that is potentially harmful or potentially dangerous. And we've kind of been brought up on these tropes and it's hard to unlearn, but it, like, it can be done. Oh yeah. And I think a great first step, and I've been seeing this uh, in my social circles and also in film festivals, uh, is more queer creators making queer content. Um, because I remember at one point I had been sent this like vampire film uh, and the person who sent it to me was like, oh, it's got lesbian vampires. You should watch it. And I'm like, it was being sent to me by a straight person. <laughs> and so yeah. my, my first thought was, okay, you assume because it has lesbians in it that me as a queer person want to see it. But then secondly, mm -hmm. I'm like, of course I want to see it. it has yeah, to be, like, how, how dare you? But <laughs> I'm still going to watch it. Yeah. And then I watched it and it was this very violent fetishized yeah. view like like the almost like the this it, w it was more like watching a horror themed adult film right. th than a horror film and that's kind of that's just this unfortunate trope with like women who are attracted to women it just gets inherently sexualized mm -hmm. um and it doesn't help that it was vampires because that is also just a vampire thing um, yeah but usually when it's queer creators, it, it feels more like a movie than yeah. a queer spectacle. Yeah. Which there's that was a, oh no, I'm sorry. I would say there's a thing uh, that a friend of mine said to me when we were talking about queer villains, especially in the horror or like crime genre. Um, Cause we were talking about that show, the assassination of Gianni Versace, which is based on a true story. So it doesn't always kind of like fit like the, the idea of like queer rap and tropes and stuff. Right. But um, I was like that uh, show, the, the character, the killer is a queer man, but played by Darren Chris. And uh, I was like, there was something about the way they wrote that character that felt like, right. Like it didn't feel like this, like, queer equals crazy equals killer thing like something felt really good about it but I couldn't put my finger on it and she said um because there were so many other queer characters in that show hit him being the killer was treated as like the outlier and not the norm right um and I don't think people realize that by simply putting more queer characters into a film, then the killer the, the crazy person becomes the exception and if you show queer characters, even in the horror genre, who are loving, kind, or simply not murderous people, then it, it's, it rounds out the film and the story as far as uh, queer representation goes, and it humanizes everyone right. in the film. And that's a thing, uh, this, isn't per this doesn't pertain strictly to horror, this is just a mm -hmm. general uh, thing. But when one thing that gets under my skin when it comes to representation is like for example, we, they have one queer character and they're like, oh yeah. look, the queer. And then like us within the LGBT community are like, there's only one. 
I mean, yeah, statistically, I, I, no, there's four of us in this household. All four of us are queer. Like, yeah, there's gotta we, be someone else. We flock together like penguins searching for warmth in this cis yeah. normative world. Like, we, yeah. there is not going to be just one of us. There has to be another one. Yeah. And so it's, I, and I had a talk just the other day, like, wouldn't it just be nice to have one of those movies, those old iconic slasher films, right? A bunch of teenagers are off on a road trip, car breaks down, slasher shows up. But just, it's a road trip of all the queer band kids decided to go off and it's just a road trip of queer kids. Like, that's it. And you could have a very, very similar film, but just- Oh yeah. Every, and it would be realistic if you ask a single queer person. <laughs> like, interestingly, interestingly, there is a movie oh. uh, that is like that. It is, um, oh my God, I, I want to make sure I get the title right. Uh, but so it's a, uh, it's a slasher movie, I believe from the early 2000s, about a, uh, a slasher that I haven't seen this movie, but I should. Um, it's about, yeah, it's called Hellbent. It's from 2004. It is about a slasher, a serial killer that um, is targeting like the queer, like, and not targeting as in like, we also see like the straight community, but his like victim base is based in this like queer community of this one city and this like one gay club. And it's kind of like a scream style whodunit if you're trying to figure out which one of these like gay men is also the killer. Um, It's not a great movie from what I've heard, but it is kind of like, a step in the right like as far as the film goes but it's like a step kind of in the right direction of when you show all these queer characters together it 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 gets rid of the trope because you're showing this serial killer alongside this like well-adjusted like queer hero right and Um, i should watch this movie but i haven't seen it (laughs) that's probably also gonna have to go on my list as well because (laughs) well um but yeah and i think what's really nice to see especially in the indie horror film scene is just how many queer creators are able to make and share their work um and i feel from what i've heard it's kind of easier to get your your queer based horror film into a film festival than like a queer romance or a queer like sci-fi because usually in those well not okay not so much sci-fi sci-fi is also a whole other animal yeah but but because with horror there doesn't seem there isn't as often this focus on romance so Mm -hmm. if there are queer characters it's not as centered on the romance between the queer characters right um as it is the survival of just the characters um and i just kind of wanted to ask your view on queer creators making queer content um versus just the overall industry yeah um so like like you said that the the horror genre is not one that often focuses on uh romantic relationships of any kind like horror movies have a lot of sex but um, very often we're not following it like for the relationship, the romantic relationships between the characters. Um, and therefore when queer characters do exist in horror movies and are not killers, um, they're kind of like incidentally queer in a way. Yeah. Um, 
I've seen it in a couple of movies. I think Truth or Dare, which was not a good movie, but they had a queer character uh, in it who has this, like, it's a Blumhouse movie where they have to, like, do scary Truth or Dares or bad stuff happens. Um, and then one of his dares is to, like, come out to his dad, which could have been a great scene, but they he goes, like, Dad, I have something to tell you. And then the scene cuts, and we don't actually get to see him come out, which is infuriating. Um, but uh, I think a lot of horror movies end up with that, where we learn about a character's queerness through like one-off lines and stuff like that. And I think the, that often comes from uh, well-intentioned straight directors and writers who want to include queer characters but aren't sure how to do it. Because I feel like a lot of uh, straight creators kind of get in the conundrum of, oh, I want to put in queer rep, but I, want, I don't want to stereotype and I don't want to make it the only thing they talk about or whatever. So they like get all in their heads and end up, like kind of accidentally revealing that these characters are queer. And I wish there was something that I could, like a word for this, but when it's a queer creator writing a queer character, there's just like something about like the flavor of that character. Right. Where you can just like, like it feels like close to heart and it feels right. familiar. Like you can, you can feel it. Like the, the wavelength of like, you can feel that this character is queer or this is a queer story. Um, and I think that's separate from like queer coding in that in queer coding, it kind of feels like a, a slide secret that they kind of put under it. And then with this, it, it just feels uh, like familial. Right. Um, and even if the characters don't explicitly talk about it or we don't see a queer relationship on screen, um, we, it, it just, it, there's something about it that just feels like, I don't want to say like a gaydar because whatever but, but yeah there's just, it's but that's what it like that's i always tell people that there's a difference between straight gaydar and gay gaydar like yep. straight gaydar is when people are like oh i think i can tell people are queer because of how they dress or how they talk or whatever and then queer gaydar is just you get like the vibes and uh you can you just feel it and i think people uh, will get that from at least i get that from consuming a, a queer created content and then in the fact that whether or not a, a queer create like a queer creator can make a horror movie that doesn't have anything to do with queerness or doesn't have any queer characters, but the idea of just being able to support a queer creator by watching their film or buying the movie or whatever um, is a great way to expose yourself to queer created work. Because if you find a director or a film that you like, the chances are that director has worked on a lot of other stuff that you'll probably also enjoy. And maybe one of those things talks about a queer issue um, but I think that go kind of taking that extra step to support, uh, queer creators, regardless of what the content of the movie is, as long as you, as long as you enjoy it, it's a great step. Yeah. Um, and will probably likely lead you to better representation than you're going to find in a, in a kind of more mainstream horror film. Um, but because the indie horror genre is so vast and wide, you'll have to do a little bit of digging. But um, Shudder is actually right now working on a documentary about the history of queerness and horror. They just did one based off of the horror noir book where they talked about blackness and horror and how horror has inter uh, interacted with the black community. And they're doing one with the queer community now directed by Sam Weinman. And I'm really excited for it because it's going to cover uh, both kind of like how it's shown up in the past in a problematic way and kind of what people are working on now and where in horror queer people have also seen themselves in kind of like unexpected places. 
Yeah. And I, I'm definitely gonna have to keep my eye out for that because I'm also just a huge sucker for documentaries. Oh so. yeah. I love big old anthology. Just oh give me yes. all the information. Um, but no, I think it's, I, I like what you said about when a queer, it, 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 when a queer creator like makes queer characters and you can just feel it. Yeah. Uh, it's, and that especially helps when you have queer actors, queer performers playing them because oh, the yeah. little intricacies that would have tipped you off when meeting this kind of person in person are then in the character. And it's the little things that we see in ourselves or notice in ourselves and we see them in this character and go, same hat? Like, are, are we, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you get that sense of camaraderie that you, when you meet strangers, like I met a friend who, they worked a hot topic and I just, we started talking and we both triggered each other's queer dar and trans dar. And so I kind of just went on a limb. I was like, yeah, you're on Facebook and we, we now chat. Um, yeah. we, and you can get that similar vibe of wanting to know the person, that camaraderie through the screen. Oh you know, yeah. Through, through your headphones. If it's like an audio drama and this isn't exactly horror but it does have a dark humor vibe to it and it definitely could fit in the horror genre uh but welcome to night vale the very uh, very twin peaks love i actually have a tattoo of it oh my god um and first tattoo i ever got uh but just the nuances with the characters and the symbolism they use uh, with different characters to more putting like trans characters, but they aren't trans, but they're using that bizarre world's reality mm-hmm. to be like, this is basically trans, but it's like different because of the weird um, magics that happen in Welcome to Night Vale. Mm-hmm. And also just the peak beauty that is the canonical couple of Cecil and Carlos. Yeah, it's beautiful. Just, it's mwah, mwah. And yeah. all of the, so many queer performers are in that show. Like, for example, Kevin, when you first meet Kevin, there is no indication that he is gay until much later, mm-hmm. much later, right? Mm-hmm. But with the actor, you hear him and I'm like, oh, oh that boy he gay (laughs) (laughs) you just and and it's and again like that's not even touched on for and with him being a villain Mm -hmm. it doesn't stick out because you have cecil and carlos and earl and so many other queer characters all throughout the series that the villains being queer is like oh there's more of you (laughs) yeah exactly it's it becomes the exception to like what we believe the queer community to be in this certain piece of media and i think queer people also often like when we're seeking out movies or books or tv shows or podcasts or whatever we often seek escapism and other worlds just because like we live in a shitty world for queer people uh so to have media that is set in some place like Night Vale or somewhere far removed uh, where, where queerness still exists is exciting and fun. And it's, I, I'm a big fan of, of any kind of escapist media, both for just my own brain, yeah. but also um, just as a piece of art in general. Cause I have like, in college, I worked with a lot of artists who uh, believed, wanted their art to be very much grounded in the real world. And that totally works for them and their writing style and what they want to make, but that doesn't really jive with me. I like making 
fantastical worlds and things that are kind of removed where you can st literally step into another world or another place and just forget about what's going on outside or think about what's going on outside but in this different new fun context yeah um and i think stuff like night Vale and horror in general is a is a fun way to do that yeah now so as, as we start getting kind of close to wrapping up uh, a question that i ask all of my guests is uh if you met someone who or either like maybe your younger self or you met someone that was kind of in your shoes traversing into horror and also their own identity uh trying to kind of find their place with queer horror uh what advice would you give um i would pro i always say that um the one thing that i wish i would have told myself when i was younger and first transitioning was kind of like as an actor and as a creator uh to not let yourself get treated as a burden um, because my, my primary, when I first came out and tr started transitioning and kept performing because I performed with the same theater company for a while, my whole big word, my, 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 my mantra was like, they can cast me however they want me as long as it's in a male role and as long as I get to keep performing. So I let them say things to me like, oh, we can't cast you in a romantic part because it might make the girls uncomfortable or, oh, I can't give you this because blah, 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 blah. And we're like, oh, we have to put you in a different dressing room. And like, I just like accepted that. Like, I was like, oh, as long as I get to keep doing shows, like, this is fine. And then looking back, I'm like, oh my God, like no other person should have to feel that way because I like, don't ever let yourself get treated as something that a director or whoever's in charge of your artistic space has to uh, like accommodate or something something they have to modify for like you are not a burden in the room your artistic input and what you create is a gift that will enrich what you're creating it will not take away from it like don't ever let yourself get treated as something that the other people have to overcome or excuse like you are there to create and to contribute just as much as everybody else is that's beautiful i love that <laughs> and i kind of feel that a little bit um when i was when i first started in florida on stage i hadn't come out yet i was very in the closet i played very hyper feminine roles in one show i played three different moms like it was ridiculous <laughs> and when i first came out i was in a very similar of like i because i was about to go back and start performing at the same theater of like oh whatever makes you comfortable i'll just i just don't want to play female roles anymore yeah and i ended up getting cast in a very 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 small role uh but it was my first male role so i was elated and it wasn't until i looked back that i was like really okay uh i yeah. had a much longer acting resume and yeah. more okay whatever um <laughs> the exact same thing happened to me in high school and i can't believe that i let a director because uh i played like a lead the year before and then for this show uh i got cast in the ensemble and uh i was like whatever like it's just, i i made excuses for myself i was like oh it's like luck of the draw parts not for me whatever but then my director who was a little gremlin man so i wasn't surprised that he said this to me but was talking to me one day he was like well you know you were supposed to get like the leading lady in the show but like quote then you ruined it 
And at the time I was like, oh, okay. But looking back, I'm like, I cannot believe I let a person say that to me. Yeah. How terrible. Don't let anybody ever say stuff like that to you. No, no, because you don't, you don't deserve that. No. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you so very much for being on the podcast uh, today. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank Wait. you for having me. This was really fun. <laughs> Where can our listeners here find you elsewhere? Yeah, great. Um, so you can check out my uh, podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever feeds you get your podcasts on. It's called The Great American Scream. We post new episodes every Tuesday. Um, it's a kind of a comedy and a horror culture podcast. So we talk about mostly fun stuff. We don't really do uh, true crime or uh, stuff like that. So if you're looking just to learn about fun, spooky games or spooky movies and stuff, um, come check it out. Uh, and you can also follow us that podcast on Twitter at Great Scream Pod or on Facebook at The Great American Scream. Um, and then you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Adam J. O'Con, O-C-O-N. Um, I'm not really on Twitter as much anymore because it makes my brain hurt, but I'm on Instagram. Uh, so come check me out there. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, I will put links down in the description so you can just scroll down, click them and find them there. And if you would like to check out more of the Queer Thus experience, we are uploading every Friday with different guests from different parts of the LGBT plus community and different parts of the entertainment world. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, and we're slowly spreading across wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter with just experience or you can find us on instagram with the queer thesperience again links will be down in the description below and thank you all so much for listening and remember all the world's a stage so give them one hell of a show thank you so much for joining me adam it has been a great time and thank you for listening bye-bye bye-bye thanks for having me